Okay, and welcome back to another episode of Jewish Teen Talk. I am joined this week by uh, Rav Danny Schreiber, who is the Assistant Associate Rabbi in Renana, Shifte Israel, as well as being a programmer for a high-tech firm um, and all-around very smart guy. So let's get straight into it. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about halacha. And why does halacha, why is halacha important to us? Why do we have all these restrictions? Um, and is it really that important, keeping all these rules and basically hits to the essence of Judaism, right? So much of Judaism is law and Gemara, which gets into the halacha, and then halachic books and all the things that, that restrict and make our lives what they are as religious orthodox people is halacha so let's get into it and i'm gonna just start off with a story uh so when i was um 18 when i finished high school me and my friends we went to portugal for a summer it was very very fun we did a lot of things some of them were according to halacha some of them less so um but either way we played football <laughs> we played football on a shabbos afternoon um it was on concrete so i don't know where we, need, we don't need to get into that discussion but um but we played it in a Rishut HaYachid, which is a private domain in the garden. And we kicked the ball over, over into the Rishut HaYachid. And, you know, me and my friends, uh, the, the public domain. And we, we straight away had this discussion, you know, can we go get the ball back? We want to continue our game. And we came to the conclusion, most of us, that, you know, however much we push boundaries, we're not going to push this one and we're not going to go and get that ball. And then one of our friends who was a little bit, you know, came from a less strict home than, than we did, basically said to us, you know, does Hashem really care if you are going to go and get that ball? Does God really care that you're going to go and get a ball and bring it back and continue your game? How, how could it be that, that God would care about such a thing? So I want to put that to Rav Dani um, and see what he has to say about it. Rav Dani, go for yeah, it. Yeah, uh, that, that's a great question. Uh, I have to say, it doesn't only happen in Portugal. Uh, I remember when I was growing up in summer camp, and I think the uh, there was a tennis court that was kind of at the edge of the camp. And if you hit the ball too far, it went past the, the air of string that was at the top. And so you knew that on Shabbos, you couldn't, you couldn't go get that ball afterwards. So, you know, that was a constant tension for us also in, in, in summer camp. Right. Um, so, I mean, does God really care? You know, that, that's a really great question. Uh, one that we don't often think about, I think, um, because we're so, you know, we're already in the game. So, you know, we don't worry about the things that are outside the game, uh, questions like that. But I definitely think it's worth uh, worth thinking about. I, I can think of at least a couple of approaches that uh, I've considered before. Um, the first approach says that you know what, it's for us. Uh, the halacha here is for us. Uh, it's easier to understand this when we're talking about halachot that are going to be Also, you know things like tefillah and even tefillin and tzitzit that remind us of things. Um, it's a little bit harder when it comes to the nitty-gritty halachot of Shabbat with regards to Rishut Ha'avim and Rishut Ha'achit. But in general, uh, the halacha is not here for God. Uh, it doesn't matter to us, as the Maral and, and many others point out, it doesn't matter to God whether we shtach the chicken from the front or from the back, uh, whether we do it in this way or that way. It doesn't affect him, it affects us. Uh, and in different various ways, some that we understand and some that we don't. Rabbi Salvechik, uh was very, very into finding psychological understandings of the mitzvot. The Rambam, Rav Hirsch, wrote whole treatises about Tanei mitzvot, And so each one has its own reasoning. And within that, each halacha that applies in every single case must add something 
to those um, psychological, spiritual um, uh, ideas. So that's on one level it's for us. But on another level, uh, maybe a little bit more mystical, um, it's not just for us, it's for the world. The created the world in a physical manner, but he also added spiritual components to it, which are controlled by the mitzvot. Our performance of mitzvot, our learning of Torah, uh, our spiritual growth impacts the world in a positive and sometimes negative way. And as Ethan mentioned before, uh, I happen to be a programmer by profession. And one of the things that I know very, very well is that every single detail matters. You have to cover all the edge cases. For anybody who's ever played Fortnite and noticed the glitch in the middle of the game, like, I don't know, and you can walk through a wall or you get stuck in a wall or something, that happened because some programmer took a shortcut and he didn't, uh, he didn't program it the right way. And if, the, if you had asked the program why he did that, his answer was, his answer would have been, you know what, because I didn't think it mattered so much. When is this ever going to happen? Why does it matter uh, if I put this variable here or that variable there, or I don't account for this, but does it make a difference? So halakha is a little bit like that um, in terms of the details mattering. I don't know, I think Eitan, the audience that we're talking to here, I'm not sure knows about the movie, The Matrix yet. Many, many <laughs> of them probably do, but some of them don't. Right. But uh, I think this is, I think the best metaphor for halakha ever is The Matrix. It's the idea that, you know, the whole world in, in the movie, the world is a, is a simulation. It's a bunch of ones and zeros and you can have glitches. And so if you see the world as, as being created by God and halakha being a main component and function in that world, then the question of does this really matter kind of falls away because of course it matters. Everything matters. Okay. That, okay. So if I break that down, Ravdani, I think that you said two things um, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I understood correctly, that there's Tameh HaMitzvot, which is, you know, what a lot of people speak about. Like so each halacha might have its own on, rule that we can understand. So the, in the case of the Eruv, we would have to get into that and that might have a specific understanding of why yeah. can you only carry in that place. And each halacha might be understood on its own. But kind of meta on a, on a, on a, on a broad scale that Hashem yeah. is in the details. And I, I think that comes down to something and the world is all about the details. And sometimes we find that very hard to understand because I think it comes from a self-esteem thing and Rav Tversky, who, um, Dr. Tversky, who just passed away recently, was very into this as well, that we don't really believe in ourselves a lot. And we don't believe that Hashem could really care what I do and what you do and what every little 14-year-old, 15-year-old out there do it, is doing. Does God really care yeah. about me? I'm 15 years old. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm playing Fortnite. I'm playing football. I'm doing my homework. Like, leave me alone. Like, what does God really care about me? Well, the idea in Judaism is profound, I think, is very strong that really Hashem cares about every single one of us and every single action we do has meaning. Everything we do, Absolutely. whether it's, yeah. So I think that, that those are the two things that Ravdani um, brought. And I think that- they're, and, they're very, and you know, Ethan, just to piggyback off of uh, you know, the analysis that you just gave, the Gemara Sanhedrin says, Mishnah Sanhedrin actually says, that this is the exact reason that Hashem made Adam Arishon alone, to show that every single person is an olam bifniat small, every single person is different, and every single person's life has meaning. Uh, I think Ravolbi points this out in his Ali Shore. He says, by creating man alone, it shows that every single individual is a world in and of himself. Right. So this is an idea entrenched in Judaism. This is exactly what we believe, that, that really we all matter and everything we do matters, um, which is a contrast to other ideologies out there and other non-ideologies out there in the world, which tells you you don't really matter that much. Um, Right. And the things you do don't matter that much. So I suppose that's where it comes from. 
Um, okay, so then, you know, we've kind of got to it. But at the other, on the other hand, Judaism can be so restrictive. It's like you have yeah. to get up for shul. You have to do this. You have to do that. Yeah. How do we deal with such? You know, how, what, what do we make of that, Rav Dani? So I'll tell you, uh, you know, I do work in the high-tech field. I worked at a few companies. And I remember in my last job, actually, I used to have a lot of conversations with, uh, like this with some of my coworkers who were not religious. And I remember one in particular, Sergey, he had this phrase he always used to say to me when I would describe to him the things that I could do or would do or wouldn't do. He would always say, you know, you're limiting yourself. And I had two responses to that. I said, first of all, you know, I, I don't feel like it's limiting. We'll get to that in a minute. But I said, of course I am. Everybody limits themselves. We all limit ourselves. You limit yourself by not allowing yourself to believe in God and, and, by, and, and, and believe in spirituality, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I think that the, the proper answer in, in these cases is it's actually a beautiful quote from the philosopher Immanuel Kant. And it's a quote that I always like to, to bring with regards to halakha. And it says, the light dove cleaving the air in her free flight and feeling its resistance might imagine that its flight would be still easier in empty space. And the idea behind the quote is that- uh, You're gonna have to explain that one to us, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, no, sure, sure. It means that you know when a bird flies through the air, so it spreads its wings and as it's flying, it feels the air resistance on its face, right? So the dove thinks to itself as it's flying and it's flying really fast, you know, this air resistance is really holding me back. If only the air resistance would go away and I could fly in a vacuum, then I could go really fast. But the problem is the air resistance isn't only the thing that's holding it back, it's also the thing that's holding it up. Without that air resistance, the bird would plummet like a stone. It, it would just fall because the very thing that's holding it back is actually holding it aloft. And I think halakha is like that in a lot of ways. Uh, we feel the friction of halakha as we travel through our lives. You know, whether it's wake up in the morning, whether it's things that we can eat, things that we can't eat, things that we can't do during specific times or things that we have to do during other specific times. And we feel it almost like air resistance, like this friction, like this thing that's holding us back. But the truth is that it's what provides the contours and texture to our spiritual lives. So, you know, for, for example, waking up in the morning and going to davening in the morning, while it may be difficult, it provides an injection of emuna in your life. It provides structure. And without it, you know, you, you might wake up an hour later and you would have lost an opportunity to connect with meaning. And uh, similarly, with regards to food, you know, you know, Sergei would sit in front of me eating from a non-kosher restaurant, laughing at me that I'm eating schnitzel for like the fifth time in a week, right? Uh, and he would laugh at me and I would say, I don't know, every single time I eat, I think about what I'm eating. You, you don't think at all. You don't think at all about what you're eating. Uh, maybe you enjoy not thinking, but I enjoy thinking. Every single time I eat, it's, it's surrounded with all of this air resistance, which reminds me, first of all, that I'm alive and that I'm living a meaningful life and, and that everything I do actually matters, like, like Eitan, like what you said before. Okay. And I think that that's a critical aspect of halakha that people, people who are inside the system forget that it exists. And, and for people outside the system, can't even understand it. Right. Rabbi Sachs um, used to say in, in some of his uh, speeches that um, halakha is the greatest seminar in self-control. Um, and I think that what he meant by that is that every single second 
you know, okay, there's that, you know, everyone heard of the marshmallow, um, the marshmallow test of young kids, right? There's a psychology thing right, that right, they, right. right. Like, there's a the classic thing that like you, you take two young kids and you say, you give them um, marshmallows um, and, you know, those who basically it boils down to those who save them and not eat them first are more likely to be more successful in the future. I mean, that's like something that, and then the ones who just eat them up and gobble them up and don't save them and don't have the self-control are going to be less successful according to the statistics, which they, right. they brought. I think, I, I think maybe I, I got the details wrong, but it's something like that. I think that's the idea of halakha is that it's constantly training us to have self-control and commitment, which is essential for life. You know, like every time you choose to study well, conscious living also, right. Conscious living, meaning that, like, meaning what, Rav Dani? It's not. It's not just that you're. It's not just that you're controlling yourself, but you're also considering and thinking. You know, do I do this? Do I not do this? Is ah. this is this the right thing to do? And and, and that's a, a a way of living that without halacha uh, doesn't come naturally to people to ask those right. kinds of questions. Right. Uh, so I think that point about conscious living, therefore, is like the idea that we want to bring Hashem into our lives and everything that we do. And that, um, you know, everything I do, I want to bring Hashem into my life. And um, by Hashem extension, his Torah and his morality. So we're training ourselves constantly to thinking, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? So that when it comes to something, when no one else is watching, no one else is looking, are you going to be the person that's going to do the right thing? If, yourself, if, you're, if you've trained yourself constantly to do that, you probably are more likely to, I think, than someone who, who hasn't. And that's, that's what halacha also yeah. has a great facet to it as well. Okay. And you know, Eitan, the last, yeah. the last thing that you mentioned, I think uh, is critical because uh, you mentioned, you know, connects to divine, uh, to, to, to God and connects to his morality. Um, I don't know if you planned on, on, on bringing this up, but uh, I think, you know, one question that many people would ask is, you know, is it really moral? You know, is halakha always the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do? Okay. And that's What's a, the answer you know, to that, that? That's a hard question, especially these days. Very well, hard question. Well, I mean, uh, personally, personally, I think the answer is yes. Um, and, and I think that, that halakha demands of us a few things. Uh, number one, it demands of us humility to say, to acknowledge that, you know, we don't always have the right answer intuitively and that it requires that we look into our tradition, into our texts, into our codification and and and. and and ask this question um, honestly, uh, you know, what is the right thing to do? And realize that we don't have the answer off the bat. And, and this is especially difficult nowadays um, in our modern world. And, and I'm always, by the way, I'm always reticent to say our modern world because I'm not sure that our world is so different from the worlds that came before it. Right. But it appears to be that our modern world has a much bigger emphasis on individuality and on something called moral relativism. We've, we've, you know, because we've come in contact with so many different cultures, global cultures, we've noticed that, you know, not everybody agrees about what right, what's right and what's wrong in the world. What's right in one society and culture is, is not right in another society or culture. And, and there's a shift of priorities in terms of, you know, what's the most important thing about home, human morality, depending on where you grew up and where you lived. And so for halakha, uh, to have one central answer to these questions, I think is, is really important. Uh, because no matter where you grew up, the fact that we all have the same Torah uh, provides us with a, a nexus point uh, for for answering these kinds of questions. But so just that, to throw that back at you, argue about that. Just to throw that back at you, right? I mean, it wasn't. 
Uh, well, it's Svadim Ashkenazim, but even within Svadim Ashkenazim, Machlokas, it, it gets into a whole different subject, which I didn't plan on getting into, but, you know, isn't there moral or halachic relativism, according to which rabbi you ask, or, or, or which uh, halachic uh, opinion you go there? Absolutely, and and you know what, it's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I think that um, the, the original ideal was that there wouldn't be so much relativism. There should be argument, there should be a discussion, but ultimately there should be consensus. That's what the Sanhedrin is all about. Once the Sanhedrin decides on something, boom, that's it, there you go. We don't live in a world of Sanhedrin. And we live in a world filled with Spartan and Ashkenazim and Haredim and modern Orthodox and liberal Orthodox and, uh, and all different kinds of things. And, and as modern people, we, we tend to celebrate this. Like we like the fact that there's diversity, but there is something lost when you have diversity, which is uh, you know, a unified voice, which is a big concern. The Sefer Achinoch, writes that the reason why we have to follow some hedging is because we don't want there to be two Torahs. There shouldn't be two different Torahs. So what benefit is there to having diversity? Um, well, I mean, I think there's a great benefit for Talmud Torah because it allows us the opportunity to evaluate different situations uh, from different perspectives, which I, I think is good. But uh, there, is a, there is a lot that is lost. I just don't know that we have a great solution. I mean, do you have any good solution for fixing all these problems? No, I definitely don't. I do not have any solutions. I just have questions. But I do think that <laughs> it comes back around to everything that we were saying beforehand, is that it's okay to have diversity in halachic opinion and to have different halachic opinions because everyone's asking the same question. And that is, what does Hashem want from me? And what does Hashem want in this world? Right. And that's what we're trying to do. And I think that's the moral relativism is true because, you know, it comes back to this idea that Hashem and believing in a God really provides you with a moral framework when it's not believing in, in a God. And it basically tells you that there's more, where does your morality come from then? I, I always get stuck with this with atheists, like, or atheist yeah, thinking, yeah. where does your morality come from? So we have a morality, we have a God and he's given us a Torah and our job as, you know, uh, people that have a part in that Torah is to try and figure out what does Hashem really want from us and to ask that question constantly and therefore to train ourselves yeah. to be moral and to 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 think in a halachic way, which I think is the ultimate goal. Um, yeah, you know, uh, my yeah, rabbi in, used to in say, terms of, yeah. Uh, no, in terms of divine morality, the way that I always see it is, uh, I can appear Shiram about this, but um, to boil it down into a nutshell and avoid all the details, I think there's three different ways of looking at halakha. One is that halakha needs to cue to our moral sense that, you know, we, we have a, an instinctive moral sense um, that I guess the atheist might have, must have as well, in your, in your point. And when the halakha clashes with that, we need to find a way to modify the halakha in order to, uh, to conform with our morality. Uh, this is obviously not a typical orthodox way of thinking. You'll find orthodox thinkers that sometimes do this, but it's not the way that we usually do it. And then there are two other options. One option is, no, there is no morality in halakha either. There's just what God says. We try to figure out what God says, and that's what we do. Is it moral? Doesn't matter. But then there's a third approach, which I personally adhere to. Rav Lichtenstein writes about this. Rabbi Walter Wurzberger wrote a few essays about this, which I, I highly recommend uh, if your English is uh, is a is native, um, and he writes about how uh, we believe that there's a divine morality, that, that God is the most moral being there is because he defines morality. God is good, and therefore all halakha must by definition be good, and, and we, need to, we need to work in order to figure out how it's good, but ultimately 
we need to adjust the halakha instead of the halakha adjusting to us. You were going to tell an anecdote about your teacher before. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I just think that this might be useful. You know, we, we spoke a lot of philosophy, but, you know, when it comes down to the everyday life, um, my rabbi used to tell us a nice anecdote and Ravdani also had the same anecdote, which is interesting um, that, you know, you have a, a, a sports game, football, basketball, tennis, whatever you want without the rules. Think about it. Take away um, the throw in rule. Take away that there's a byline. Take away that there's a, you can, you know, fouls. What does it become? It becomes free for all. I mean, this is more of a point about structure and rules is that we really all agree and it comes back down to like, you know, the first point that Ravdani made with his friend Sergey in, in, in the office. But it's like, it, we all agree that we need to have some restrictions. Like, we, like restricting ourselves and rules is something we all want. We love it in sports and it makes the game. And so it makes life also. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Ravdani. I think this has been a really interesting discussion and you brought some really great insights. Uh, just remind me again of the, Thanks. you quoted Rabbi Lichtenstein and another rabbi after him of his essay. Rabbi Walter Wurzberger. He's written a few books. Um, he's also an American rabbi from uh, Yeshua University. Ethan, I just want to make one last point before, yeah, sure. we, uh, before we wrap up. Um, there's, I think it relates to this uh, greatly. There's just one idea about the, the words Naseb Nishma from Parshat Nishpatim. The okay. two most famous words probably in the whole Torah. And everybody always wonders, what does Naseb Nishma mean? How can you do Naseb? Before you do Nishma, how does it work? And one interpretation that I always liked, I haven't actually found it inside, but it really, really resonates with me, is that Naseb Nishma means Naseh, and through the Naseh, Nishma. And the idea being that very often, I personally find that, um, you know, I'll, I'll learn a sugya, and it'll be completely abstract. And, and then afterwards, it, it comes to implementing it, and I actually do it. And as I'm performing the mitzvah, for example, you know, I don't know, shaking a lulav. Imagine learning the Mishnayot about uh, sukkah, okay? And then actually performing the act of shaking a lulav and etrog. As you're doing it, you're almost reviewing the Mishnayot. You're, you're reliving the Mishnayot in your head. And so through the asiyah, through the actual halachot, you're, you're performing an act of Talmud Torah, of, of nishma. And I think all of halakha can be seen this way. When we, when we go through our, our life and, and not just perform the acts of halakha, the mitzvot, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning and I put on my, uh, my right shoe first and then my left shoe and then I tie my left shoe and then I tie my right shoe, like the Shulchan Aruch says. I don't just do it, but I actually think about it. I think about the fact that I'm supposed to do it this way. It adds so much meaning to the, not only to the act of to my life in general, it, it makes almost every single thing that I do infused by god wow that's it i think that we've made a really good case now for halakha and i think that 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 was a beautiful ending <laughs> to it um i just would say one more thing and that's not not to do with with it, uh the actual discussion of why is halakha important but when we fail in halakha and sometimes halakha can be overwhelming because there's yeah. so many different things that i don't even know half of them even exist I think that, you yeah. know, something I wasn't told enough maybe as a kid is that we try our best and try and try and try again. And Sheva Pamim Yipol, like, right, the Tzadikim, they, you know, they fall and fall, and, but they get themselves back up again. Like, the idea is that Halakha is there. We're meant to think about it. We're meant to try our best. But it's okay if we don't manage to do everything. And it's okay. And we can live with that. And that's my personal opinion. I don't know if it's uh, shared by other people, but it's okay. Like, just try, try your best and keep trying to strive to be better. But um, you're not going to get it all in one day and you might not even get it all in a lifetime. 
but you just try to learn more, Definitely. eat more and, and be the best we can. Okay. Thank you so much for Danny. This has been um, really, really interesting. Um, All right, yeah. Eitan. It was great talking with you. Shkayach. Thank you.